Welcome to Snow the Goalie, the number one, the only Flyers podcast this side of the Delaware River. I'm Russ Joy at Joy on Broad, joined as always by Crossing Broad's Flyers beat writer, the best beat writer on the beat, off the beat. He is here, Anthony Sanfilippo. You can find him on Twitter at Ant Sanfilly. Anthony. What an exciting week we have. What an exciting episode we have for people. I know our dedicated listeners are here, and I'm sure there are some other people who are beyond excited to hear from Flyers GM Ron Hextall, which we'll be getting to a little bit later in the show. But Anthony, how are you doing today? I'm struggling a little bit. I've uh, been uh, fighting this, uh, I don't know if it's a cold or a, a cough, um, but I'm, I'm working my way through it, and I'm doing podcasts left, right, and center trying to talk through it, so... Um, I'm going to let you do most of the talking during this uh, during this during this broadcast, but uh, I'll chime in as best I can and cough when you're talking. <laughs> All right, sounds good. So, uh, kind of like we already alluded to, uh, the, the big thing this week is the interview that we got. We had an exclusive sit down with Ron Hextall, which we actually did in Voorhees at Flyers Skate Zone, which was awesome. That was actually my first time being there. Uh, not a bad way to get acquainted with the uh, the area and uh, getting to sit down with the GM himself, who, by the way. Uh, is a very tall man. I <laughs> I was not expecting this. I don't know why, but uh, I'm short as is, and he certainly uh, towered over me. Good firm handshake, though, for all those who are wondering. Very firm. One of the best handshakes I've ever received. Anyway, uh, the last show we did, we were talking about uh, how Vegas was likely going to fall to the caps. We weren't sure how many games it would be in. So before we get to the interview with Hextall, we kind of want to wrap up the regular season. A little bit of Stanley Cup final talk and uh, we're going to touch on the draft a little bit which is something that we didn't get to uh, with Ron Hextall. Uh, Anthony you want to explain that to the people? Yeah so I mean first of all uh, I'm going to ask you a question before I explain it. Um, Sure. Russ do you know what the Dillman award is in the NHL? I do only because you told me. Oh okay good. Um, So the Dillman award is an award that's given out every year um, to the best PR team uh, uh, groups in the NHL um, so each team has their own public relations department um, and they award a Dillman award to an Eastern Conference and Western Conference team um, the Flyers could basically win it every year I mean Zach Hill and his staff uh, Joe Seville Brian Smith those guys are the best in the business and um, the reason we had been trying to get Ron for a few weeks uh, to, to come onto the podcast and it finally came to be because you know Zach was really persistent and really made sure that it that it happened. And the one thing that Ron had asked us um, to agree to is to not ask any questions about the draft, only because um, he's having a media availability um, on Thursday, the fourteenth, depending on when you're listening to this, um, for the entire media. And so he didn't want to have to answer all the questions and then have to answer them again. Um, a couple days later. So uh, so that's why we agreed to not really dive into the draft um, in the interview with him. But that said, I've talked to some people uh, with the organization, and I have a kind of an idea of what the Flyers are looking for in the draft. And so I, I feel like once we wrap up this um, the Stanley Cup final conversation, I can throw out a few names that I think are you know, right near, right at the top of the Flyers list, um, if in fact they stay at fourteen and nineteen, um, which that they, they obviously that they'll be looking they're, for. 
you know, I, I think it's pretty safe to say after our conversation yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. This is uh, this is all a joke. This is this is uh, pure <laughs> speculation. The second that we left, we're like, man, you know what? It's not even that bad of a, of a thing that we didn't talk about the draft because after all, they're probably just going to trade both picks and somebody else to go get Eric Carlson. So, um, no, that was not something that Hextall said. That was not a conversation that we had. Uh, I think, you know, every team in the NHL is going to be trying to line up their best offer. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the Flyers at least consider making such a move. But anyway, um, let's talk about the Stanley Cup final. Um, the Washington Capitals came out victorious against the Golden Knights. Probably the best NHL. I don't know. I, I would say it's probably the best storyline that we've had in quite some time. It was something that on previous episodes, for those especially who are new to the show and didn't get to go back and listen to previous episodes that we've done. We did a full breakdown, I think it was like three episodes ago, where we talked about in the scheme of, or in the uh, the overall um, look at professional sports, was the Vegas Golden Knights winning the Stanley Cup potentially uh, the best underdog story in the history of, of pro sports? And uh, because I'm a soccer guy, uh, I made the case that it was probably Leicester City who had like 10 to 1 odds, uh, like 10 times worse odds of winning the EPL a few years ago. Uh, we went back and forth on that. I don't think either of us expected, uh, you know, going into the season for Vegas to be anywhere near as good as they were. And as something that uh, Ron Hextall actually brought up in our interview with him, unsolicited, by the way, he points out the fact that he thinks that Vegas was the best team. They might not have had the best talent, but they were the best team in the NHL this season. And, you know, whether it's lucky bounces, if it's just the playing for one another, I think uh, Vegas very much kind of out or they... um, they passed their expectations, and they had a great series uh, leading up to it. And I think even in the series, they had their moments where it looked like they were going to keep it competitive. Um, but ultimately, the Capitals, you know, with led by Alex Ovechkin, uh, you know, just kind of asserted their dominance, asserted their will. And ultimately, I think they proved that, you know, when talent works hard, talent is going to be able to kind of, you know, assert itself. Um, we have a saying at least uh, where I coach, we say hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work. Well, when talent does work hard, um, you, you've kind of seen the results, at least in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, and that's a good, that's a good way of putting it, Russ, because the, the Washington Capitals were certainly the more talented team. And going into the final, I would have picked Vegas to win. Um, and I, my thought process would have been they're a hard work, harder working team than Washington. And Washington has this... Um, propensity to, you know, to be a little lackadaisical with their talent. <clears throat> and they lost the first game of every series that they were in this year. They were behind <laughs> in every series. And, and so that's kind of um, indicative of the, the fact that Washington struggles sometimes um, when, you know, when they get a little, they, when they don't work hard enough with the talent that they have. But credit to to them to their coach, um, Barry Trotz, to the, the players on the team, led by Ovechkin, they they really brought it, um, and they really they really brought it to Vegas. And even in Game Five, Vegas is up three two after after two periods, and boy was it a heck of a two periods. I mean, those, Game Five was a fun fun game, um, and Vegas was up that second period in, in Game Five was just awesome. It was. Five goals were scored. Um, there was a lot of physical play, a lot of pushing and shoving. It was it was real intense playoff hockey. It was great. And in the third period for um, Washington to come from behind 
on the road and get two goals to to you know win the Stanley Cup. That's impressive. I mean, it's imp- it's a tough building to do that in, and they did it. So you know, credit all credit to them. And I'll tell you what, they've had maybe the best post championship party. I think anyone's ever had. They've been. I think they've been drinking nonstop for five days now. <laughs> I and seriously. I mean, if you watch everywhere Ovechkin goes, I think he's been drinking. Him and his teammates are drinking beers. They're hammered nonstop. <laughs> they were at uh, nationals at the nationals game when he was on Jimmy Fallon doing a, uh, <laughs> a keg stand with the Stanley Cup. That was incredible. Uh, at the parade. I mean, it's it's just nonstop partying. And I think it's awesome. You know, I think it's it's really a lot of fun. And, and I'm not a huge fan of the Washington sports fan base. Um, I, I think that there are some great fans down there, but I, I tend to think that there's also a lot of front-running fans down there. Uh, there's a lot of, with the exception of the Redskins, there's a lot of empty seats at games a lot of times for, for their sports. Um, so I'm not a big fan of their base in general. But you know what? When you wait 44 years for a championship, um, and you ha- you've had one of the best players in the game for the past 13 years to finally get it. It's it's pro- it's a good thing, and uh, so good for them. Good for the Capitals. You know, I I uh, I have to say about Ovechkin. So there there had been times early in his career where he came off as a total knucklehead, as a buffoon, as a, as a guy who was out speeding, partying, um, and you know wasn't you know when I guess his team needed him the most. You know he hadn't stepped up in in you know the biggest moments to get his team to a Stanley Cup final, and it was sometime I think it was around 2014. The video came out of him going on a, a little sushi date with a ten-year-old uh, girl named Anne who had Down syndrome, and it kind of uh, it it totally changed my perception of the guy, and he came off as as a a much better overall human being than I think uh, a lot of people might have you know uh, thought he was at least you know based on some of his uh, bad bad marks on his uh, off off ice career. I guess we'd say, and um, I don't know, it, it it did feel kind of nice to see him be able to hoist the Stanley Cup. I didn't want to see Ovechkin go down as one of these guys that you have to think about as, as they're going into the Hall of Fame about what if, what if, what if, and, you know, as a guy who had never won a championship. I think he's been a transcendent enough talent um, and a consistent enough player, at least in the regular season over the course of his career, that, you know, this, this Cup win was justified it was warranted and ultimately he earned it and his teammates finally stepped up and it wasn't just the Alex Ovechkin show and I think overall you know uh, I don't like to see another team other than Flyers win uh, and I certainly was rooting for Vegas but I don't know there was something about seeing Ovechkin with that with that girl a few years ago and and I don't hate him I don't hate him nearly as much as maybe I should and by the way uh, on the last show I said I, I really wanted to see Washington win just so that they'd get an invite to the White House and Donald Trump could shake his hand and, and say that Ovechkin is uh, a great American athlete. And wouldn't you know it, Anthony, uh, I think it was the, the day after the Capitals won the Stanley Cup, Trump tweeted, and I quote, Congratulations to the Washington Capitals on their great play and winning the Stanley Cup championship. Alex Ovechkin, the team captain, was spectacular, a true superstar. DC is popping in many ways. What a time. It was great. I loved it. Russ, every episode, I believe, you have done a Donald Trump impersonation. Every it's, episode. I think this is like becoming a, tr- a tradition. It's better with the hands. <laughs> so much better. Do, do you do anyone else besides Trump? I have so many. 
Well, maybe you should start, you know, having a little. Do you want of, me to differentiate a little bit? A little bit of variety All to right. the show. All right, I'll bring I'll bring a lot for you. Yeah, bring bring another, you know, famous person that you can impersonate. You might you want name to name some. You name somebody. No, I don't need. I'll... No, it's better that. <laughs> could you imagine? You want this to be spontaneous? Yeah, just All whoever right. whoever comes to mind. Okay. Whoever comes to mind, but um, anyway, yeah, I mean, Ovi, I could tell you, is a really he's a good guy. He's a he's a good person. Um, he's well liked by a lot of people in the sport. Um, I, I, my, uh, dealings with him, I've never, I haven't had great, you know, amount of dealings with him, but I've, I've interviewed him a few times. Um, and he's always been, you know, available, accessible, good to talk to. Um, here, I'll give you a difference between Ovechkin and Crosby. Ovechkin would have availability after a game. And he would hold court, in, you know, in front of his locker. And he'd just talk and talk and talk until the questions were done. And he would be like, okay, guys, that's it. Okay, see you next time. And that would be it. Was that your Russian? That was my Ovechkin impersonation. It wasn't really right. Russian. <laughs> um, and then Crosby um, used to have his own personal PR person who would tell you, tell you when he's available and stop the interview at a certain time. And it was always short. It was always like five, six questions, and that's it. He's done. Um, and so that was like the big difference between the two. It's it's one of the reasons why I always appreciated Ovechkin a little bit more than Crosby. Crosby's a great player. Don't get me wrong. I just have never been a big fan of Sid the per- Sid the person as much as I have been Ovi the person. Yeah, so, Ovechkin seems like fun. Ovechkin seems like a guy who can you know drink an entire bottle of vodka and. Crosby seems like a guy who would uh, get drunk on, you know, half an old duels. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's all all we all we need. I don't know. It's, I don't I can't imagine that there's anybody in the league outside of Pittsburgh who likes Crosby more. Well, they love him in Canada. <sighs> it's he's he's Mr. Canada. He won them the gold medal. You got to remember that. He's awful. The golden goal. Hate his faith, his face. Yeah. I hate his lack of ability to grow a beard. I think if you can't grow a beard and you're playing in the NHL, you should automatically be demoted. We send you to the <laughs> AHL where you, uh, you go. <laughs> I almost went goon again. I almost went with a goon reference. I'm going to keep it to myself. That's good. Uh, so anyway, uh, we, we hit on this. Let's talk about the draft, uh, at least briefly. I really yeah. don't think they're going to draft where they're at. I think there's a decent chance that they're either going to trade for a player or they're going to make a move up. So I don't want to you know bog this episode down uh with you know a ton of draft conversation because quite frankly i don't think either of us believe that they're going to be drafting at 14 and 19 so um i think you've met you mentioned a name once before of somebody that that you know that uh people within the organization like what was that guy's name they love joel farabee they love him uh he's an american uh he's on the um u.s he's in the u.s development program under 18 team Uh, he's a left wing uh he's from he's from uh Somewhere in New York State, um, but uh, he's a he's a two way forward. He's a skater. Um, he's also got some great leadership skills. Um, very highly ranked skater. I mean, you know, top twelve to fifteen by most, you know, t- team ranking or most individual rankings for um, scouts. Uh, let's see his last season. Um, he at the, with the U.S. Development Program. 33 goals, 43 assists, 76 points in 62 games. Um, and that was the under-18 team. 
um, in their in the USHL, their junior team, 15 goals, 25 assists, 40 points in 26 games. So he played 88, and then in World Juniors, he had eight points in seven games for Team USA. Um, so he's a he's a he's a player. Um, he is currently committed to Boston University, um, which is an interesting thing because if a player chooses to go to college, um, you can retain his rights as long as he's in college. Um, if he decides to go play junior hockey in Canada or play in a European professional league, you have to sign him within um, within two years of his of being drafted. Otherwise, you lose his rights. So uh, the fact that he's going to be uh, he's uh, going to go to BU uh, tells you that it, whoever drafts him has an opportunity to let him grow and develop without actually offering him a contract, which is important because teams only have. Uh, 50 contracts that they're allowed to have at any one time. So that's kind of a key. Now, the thing is, is that Farabee is probably, most mock drafts have Farabee going 10, 11, or 12. The Flyers are at 14. Um, he probably doesn't make it to 14. But is it possible that the Flyers can package 14 and 19 and move up? <coughs> Excuse me. You can edit that one out, Russ. I'm not um, editing that out. We're keeping yeah. that cough in. <laughs> um, that's that's a sound of a, a swift kick to the nether regions of any team that wants to draft this guy. Yeah, once nice. the Flyers make that trade up, good, nice. Yeah, so that they could they might actually move up to to get him. They like him that much. Um, if they can't get Farabee, uh, another name that they like is a kid out of the OHL uh, junior hockey, also a winger. Um, Completely different kind of player. He's a kid with size. Uh, his name is Saren Noel. Uh, he's playing with the Oshawa Generals right now. Um, actually, hasn't even turned eighteen yet. Doesn't turn eighteen till uh, till August. Um, and uh, he played on the uh, World Junior Team for Canada. Um, had six points in the World Junior Tournament in five games played. Uh, Fifty three points in sixty two games for the Oshawa Generals last year. Not too bad for for a seventeen year old kid. Um, but he's got some size. He's he's a bruising winger. He's um, 6'5", 209. So he's a, a big boy, big boy. He's a big body, puck possession kind of player. Um, and the, the Flyers do like him as well. And I think that he's a guy who could be there if they stay at 14 um, and to take. And I'll give you one more name. And this one is... This is one that I think fall if they if they keep nineteen is someone that they would take at nineteen is a Swedish forward named Isaac Lundström. Um, so I and, and you might have noticed I've given you three forwards and I haven't given any defensemen. Thank sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> I don't need more defensemen. I love our defensive core. Yeah, get I, me I, some wings. Get me some guys who can put the puck in the back of the net. I think that they realize that their depth is not great up front. It's okay. It's not terrible, but it's their defensive depth is far better than their offensive depth. Um, so Lundström is from Sweden. Um, he can play center. He can play wing. He's kind of a versatile forward. Um, uh, played on almost every international team for Sweden last, last year. He was on their uh, world junior team under 20, um, their international junior team. Um, he also played in the Swedish Elite League, 
um, which is a professional league that is really, really good. And it's there's a lot of it's it's elite. Well, not, yes. <laughs> so he had, he had 15 points in 42 games. So the kid is 18 years old playing in a professional league um, in Sweden that with a lot of former NHL players. I mean, a lot of guys who've who've been around this league for been around the NHL for a while, and he's playing against men, you know, who are making big salaries. I mean, that Swedish league is it's right there with the KHL as probably the the second best professional hockey league behind the NHL. Um, and so he put up 15 points in 42 games there. Uh, so that's pretty that's pretty impressive um, for for an 18 year old. So I, I know that they like him. Um, Again, I think it would be incumbent upon them keeping both picks in order to take him. I don't think that they would take him at at fourteen. Um, they would, so it, it would have to be that they keep nineteen, and then he's there. Um, so f- basically, what happens with that number fourteen pick will dictate whether or not they would be interested in Lundstrom. I think they keep him. I think they take him if they keep nineteen, but that's the only way. Um, that they would do it. They wouldn't take him at 14, and if they trade up, they wouldn't trade up to take him. They would trade up to take Farabee. So um, based off of the people that I've talked to, I think those are the three names that that you can really tie into the Flyers right now. If you're the Flyers and you've got 14 and 19, and there's somebody who's, let's say it's it's the top 10, one of the guys that you think is just in a, a totally uh, different kind of level um, from what you think you would get between 14 and 19. I don't know enough about this draft to know uh, you know what the tiers look like here. Is it a a top two heavy draft? Is it a um, you know a number one and then the next eight or nine picks are all kind of the same value? But if you're the Flyers, do you look to make a trade up? Do you think any of these teams in the top ten that are looking to rebuild? I know you don't want to trade with a division rival like uh, the Rangers, but maybe you look to like Vancouver at seven or maybe Chicago at eight. You know, do they have any interest in you know trying to add to you know the future for them for themselves and and you know take two solid first round picks and you know maybe a conditional pick or perhaps you know a player we've talked in the past about the possibility of them you know kind of parting ways um with a guy you know maybe like Wayne Simmons who's got a, a bit of a cap hit um or a Radko Gudis in effort in an effort to try to get into that top 10 do you see it working out for either side so this draft is top heavy with the top three players I would say Rasmus Dahlin, Andre Svechnikov, and uh, Philip Zadina pretty much are your top three players. Um, four through nine are kind of a mix. Um, a lot of people have Brady Kachuk at four. Um, it's Keith Kachuk's kid. Phoenix is picking at four. It makes a lot of sense, right? You bring the Kachuk name back to Phoenix. Hope that works. Um, but then uh, the next group is, is defensemen. I mean, you got Quinn, Quinn Hughes, who played at the University of Michigan, uh, Noah Dobson, who was playing in the queue, and Evan Bouchard, who played for London Knights OHL. Um, they're kind of like that next group. And then there's the uh, the Finnish kid, uh, Jesperi Kotkanimi, um, who's a center, and Barrett Hayton, uh, who played with the, the Sioux Greyhounds in, in the OHL. Um, both are centers. So that's kind of your next group. So I'm not certain you need to go up that high. Like I don't think that there's a player in that group that the Flyers would sit there and say, "Oh, we need to trade these picks to get there." Um, like I said, Farabee is a guy that they might move up from 14, and it might not have to go into the top 10, maybe 10, um, because I think the Islanders are at 11. I don't have the list right in front of me, but I think the Islanders are at 11, and I know the Islanders like Farabee as well. Um, 
so that could be a thing. Maybe get ahead of the Islanders, so maybe you jump to ten. Um, I don't think it would require you to give up both first round picks to move up four spots. Um, I think you can. You might be able to get away with something else. Um, but even if they like Farabee that much, then maybe they do trade fourteen and nineteen to go to ten to to jump ahead of the Islanders to take him. I, I, I could see it. I mean, I, I, I know. I mean, I was told Farabee's name weeks ago. Um, and in my most recent conversation that I had, his name is still coming up, which is why I keep mentioning it. Um, but there is, a, there is a concern that now that he won't make it to 14. So now they yeah. have, now Hextall has to get creative. And part of the problem there, too, is that the Islanders not only have number 11, they also have number 12. Um, right. I, so, so, yeah, um, you're going to have to look to probably trade outside of your – uh, your division Edmonton there at number 10 like maybe maybe it makes sense but again like the idea of of tr- trying to part with anything of value to like get up to number nine uh, where the Rangers are at I, I don't know if if that cost is going to be worth it especially if you think about the long-term ramifications of having to play against multiple players or whatever um, anyway that's some draft stuff uh, as of us recording it we're 10 days away from the draft and I guess when this episode uh, drops it'll be nine days until the draft on the 22nd and the 23rd uh, we'll have another episode before the draft, so we'll you know we'll be sure to update our uh, non-existent big board at, uh, that we have um, with any kind of other trades or any kind of grumblings that are going on uh, leading up to that draft. Um, but now I think it's it's the time of the show where we should uh, get on with it and get to the big the big moment, the uh, big interview, our exclusive interview uh, with Ron Hextall, the Flyers general manager. And, um, on the other side of it, we'll kind of give you a little bit of a breakdown, including us, uh, reading between the lines on some of the things that he said, uh, as we kind of look forward to the rest of the Flyers off season and the way that they're going to look to build this team out, uh, for the 2018, 19 season and beyond. Uh, and now we are, uh, very pleased to have on the snow, the goalie podcast, Russ, a guy who would never have allowed anyone to snow him when he was a goalie, and that's Flyers general manager Ron Hextall. Ron, thanks for joining us here on the on the podcast. We really do appreciate you taking the time to come out today. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Great. Um, it, it, we. I hope you're not implying I'm a goalie though by any. <laughs> no, no, that's just that the, going on. That's just the name of the podcast, and I just know Fair that. Fair enough. Uh, I just know that you would never. And got, got to remember, Ron, you're my era. Like I grew up with hockey, and you were a player then. And whereas these guys are a lot younger, they don't remember you. They just know yeah. you as the general manager. I'm the problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, we solicited some questions from the fans, um, and the ones that we thought that would be uh, most reasonable that we would ask you today here in this. Um, but I wanted to start off with a little bit of a um, of an anecdote. It's really kind of funny because somebody asked me, a guy named BH Colorado at, on Twitter, asked me about Chris Chelios. And I said, he said, when's the last time Ron talked to Chris Chelios? And I, and I remember back when you first came back after your, your stint in L.A., we were at a game in Detroit. And while I was up in the press box, and I saw you like just having this ge- genial conversation with Chris in the press box, and I was like, the little kid inside of me died. <laughs> like, so yeah. I, what I want you to do is I was, I was hoping you could just kind of explain that these on-ice, how these on-ice rivalries just kind of die away after time. So that the fans, I mean, it's great for us to think that they live on for years and years and years. But I just thought it would be kind of fun for you to kind of tell people that from the, from the beginning. Yeah, I've actually heard that numerous times. Apparently somebody got us on camera there. In Detroit, they, they walk by us. There's no avoiding anybody. So um, we ran into each other. And, you know, guys that play like that, play that hard against you. Now that your career is over, you actually respect those guys more than you do other guys that didn't play that hard. So I've got an immense amount of respect for Chris Chelios. 
and you run into people and you say hi and like I said there's a there's an awful lot of respect there that's awesome that's awesome see and then and, and now the fans can understand that Russ right yeah so uh, I, I mean that sounds like one that, that kind of I guess smoothed over over time are there are there still some you don't have to name names we don't want to put you on the spot like that but are there any rivalries that you had on the ice that have still carried over and haven't exactly dissipated with time I don't know. I don't know if they carry over. I guess if you got back out in the ice, maybe you know who knows. But <laughs> not going there anymore, so I don't see any of those rekindling themselves. But I mean, it was a little different then. Like we didn't, um, we didn't have contact with the other players. I mean, I'd never met Chelios, um, um, so it wasn't like nowadays where there's there's meetings and there's this and there's that. There was a you didn't meet guys back then. You didn't know that Chris Chelios was a great guy off the ice. You just knew him on the ice like the fans did. And quite honestly, I didn't like him. Right. And I'm sure he didn't like me. And that's just it's the way it was. Uh, there's some of that nowadays, but it's certainly not to the degree it used to be. Sure. Well, that kind of that's a kind of great thing that you say at that because it kind of leads into my my next question. The era is so different in hockey today than it was back then. Um, there's so much information that's available to the public nowadays. Um, and, and I think it's my estimation that fans think they're a little bit smarter than they really are when it comes to the sport. So what I want, you know, I, I find myself a lot of times on social media trying to defend decisions that hockey teams make, not necessarily just the Flyers, but just hockey teams in general, when they, when they make certain decisions. It, can you just give a brief overview as to how important it is to, to have a balance between, you know, the data you can collect from a game and what you know about the players as people and humans, yeah. because there there has to be a balance there, correct? Oh, of course. I mean, there's there's a lot of pieces that you, we all use to make decisions to to move forward with a franchise, to try to add to our team, and part of it is personality. Certain players fit into a locker room. You can't quantify uh, necessarily how how much effect one player has on a locker room or or for better or for worse and that plays into the 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 decision that that goes on whether you're re-signing someone or not re-signing them or trading them or trying to sign them long term and keep them for a long time like there's a lot of things that play into it. it's not just what happens on the ice obviously that's the bulk of it good player on the ice typically you're you're going to keep them a player that's also on the ice if you can upgrade you're going to upgrade but the personality thing um, particularly when you're looking at role players how does a role player fit in with the team how how happy is he in his role does he work hard every day does he support everybody else on the team is he part of the fabric of the team or is he looking elsewhere thinking oh I want to go to another team and uh, play 14 minutes instead of eight minutes. Like, there's a lot of things that play into decisions, and you know, we've all we've all got analytics, and we've we've all got uh, information that we gather from all of our players just from being around and watching them perform on the ice. So, um, there's a lot that goes into decisions that people probably just look and they see the player and they go, okay, well, they're they're moving that player or they're re-signing that player or they signed that player. What are they doing? Well, there's a lot more to it than, than certainly meets the eye. So you've been involved with multiple organizations as both a player and as somebody in a front office. So when you talk about a player's character, about what you're looking for off the ice, 
Um, let's go with maybe the most two recent examples. So when you were at the Kings and now with the Flyers, do you find that a lot of the personality characteristics or uh, the things that you're looking to fill in the locker room are similar between the Kings and the Flyers, or is there something specifically about looking for a member of the orange and black that's different, some kind of differentiating factor? It's, I mean, character is, is, is huge because I always tell our scouts, the person ends up dictating whether a player meets his potential. That, that's reality. If you've got a good human being that's a character guy that really cares about playing hockey, chances are he's going to reach his potential, right? If you've got a guy that gets distracted and he's got all these other things going on in his life and hockey's important but maybe not quite as important, he's not going to hit his ceiling. So these are things you got to find out. And when we're doing research on free agents and, and different things like that, we're trying to figure out the whole package, not just, okay, the player goes out there and scores, you know, he's a 15-goal scorer and typically he gets 40 points. Okay, that's what he is. Well, let's look at all the other stuff now. How is he going to fit in with our group? Uh, is he going to complement our group? Is he going to be happy in a role? Uh, is he going to help other players, push other players, um, be, you know, choose to be a part of a team? Choosing to be a part of a team is a huge deal. It's, look at Vegas. It's a great example, right? They were the best team in the National Hockey League this year. No question about it. Were they the best talent? Fair to say they, they probably weren't, no disrespect, but they were the best team. That's why they went to the Stanley Cup Finals. So that whole buying in the team thing, uh, hockey is, is obviously we all have families first, but after that it's hockey. That's what we want. We want guys that are, that are here to, to play hockey, to be pros, to represent our organization, and to be the best they can be on a nightly basis. When, when you're evaluating players for free agency or in, in trades, do you find that other front offices are, are willing to come forth and, and really give a, a good character assessment of a guy? Is that something that teams like to kind of keep close to the vest if they're looking to bring back that player? Or is that something that you kind of have to do through back channels, through players, mm. other relationships? There's different avenues that, that you go through to try and do as much research as you can, and everybody everybody does the same thing. Hockey world's a small world, and things get around in a hurry. If you get a guy that's not real uh, dedicated to the sport and doesn't work real hard and doesn't have himself in real good shape, typically it gets around pretty quickly. Since we last heard from you publicly, um, you got to spend a lot of time with the Phantoms um, on their run to the Eastern Conference Finals in the AHL. Um, we had a lot of questions about the Phantoms, but uh, at Wojcik Flyers fan asked, um, what did you see with the team, and did anyone really stand out to you with their play, especially if they're players who could be given a little bit of a longer look in camp in a couple months? Yeah, no, we, we had lots of te- uh, players stand out, but I think the team, that, the thing that stands out the most for me is a team. They had a real good team. We talk about buy-in. We just did a minute ago that the buy-in was, was absolutely terrific. You know, I think Toronto's up 3-2 to two right now. They win the Calder Cup. You know, our guys lost to Toronto, albeit it wasn't, wasn't it was it was for a zip, but three of the games were by one goal. And if game two, which we probably should have won, da, 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 we can go on and on with it. But the, the bottom line is there, if Toronto, in fact, wins a Calder Cup, you look and you go, our guys played them in the semifinals, got beat by a very good team. We had a young team. Um, we had a, you know, there's a lot of our prospects that showed a lot of growth. I mean, everybody talks about Alex Lyon, but there's there's many more besides Alex Lyon that, that showed a lot of growth this year. Obviously, you know, Phil Myers, I forget how many minutes he played in that five overtime game, 66. I think he showed a lot of growth. Uh, McAbu Cabell showed a lot of growth. Uh, uh, Verobi have showed a lot of growth. So there was, you know, Travis Sanheim when he was there. He's up here. He was there. He went down there. It, it did him the world of good. He came back. He was a very good player. And at the end, he he went down and played very well for them. So that's six weeks of 
playoff hockey for that whole group is it's it's gold. It's a type of experience. It's not NHL playoffs, but it does give you a bit a little bit of a sniff of six weeks of American League playoff hockey. It's tough. It's tougher than the regular season. You're playing the same team. There is hatred. Like that experience for our guys was terrific and Again, they, there's a lot of different individuals that grew down there. That's great. You mentioned Alex Lyon. It makes me think of, for once, this organization has goaltending depth. Um, we haven't really seen that in Philadelphia in a long, long time. So when you look at coming into next season, you got the two guys signed under contract um, at the at the NHL level in Elliott and, and Neuver. You got Lyon, who showed that he could play a little bit at this level, had a great series down there. You got Stolarz coming back off the injury. You got Carter Hart coming. It seems like a little bit of a logjam, right? Is there something that maybe you probably have to do some massaging that might have to work out there? Yeah, we'll see what comes along there. We, we, we like our group. I mean, Brian Elliott did a very good job for us last year until he got hurt two-thirds of the way through the year. Nuvi had some really good games for us. I know Nuvi can be more, more consistent. We expect them to be more consistent last year. That was certainly the message um, at the end of the year. You know, the, the, the kids have all shown growth. Stoli had a little, a little bit of a speed bump, obviously, and his injuries, but sometimes that makes you a, a, a better goalie, better shape appreciating the game, working harder, working at your game. Um, so we expect some growth from, from Stoli. Alex obviously grew a lot last year. It was It's funny, partway through the year, Alex is a very consistent goalie. It's one of his, when you look at his strengths, you say he's very consistent. He's very, he's a very level-headed kid. He doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, and his game reflects it. Last year he had a six-game streak where I think it was five of the six games he didn't play very well. And it was kind of like, Wow, you know, again, typically his strength, and he went through a little bit of a, a, a downturn there. And I, I, I talked to him a little bit about it, and he said, you know, I've, I've never been through anything like that before. So credit to him that he's never been through it, but also a learning experience for him as a pro to say, okay, next time when I go into this little funk, I'm going to change this, this, and this. And uh, he's very, he has a very honest assessment of himself. And you, know, you mentioned Carter. Obviously, Carter's a. Uh, top prospect for us and, and, and had a very good year out west. As a goalie yourself, do you, do you ever find yourself in more of a, a big brother role? I don't want to say father. You're, you're quite young still. <laughs> so, uh, But is, is that something, do you, do you kind of find yourself a little bit gravitating more towards kind of, uh, you know, helping, helping young goaltenders kind of find their way between the AHL and the NHL? Or is it something where, you know, everybody, you're like a parent where all the kids are equal and you don't want to? Yeah, certainly the kids are all equal, but... Uh, um, We've got we've got Kim Dillabaugh, Brady Robinson, and goalie guys. Um, they do certainly all of the technical work and a lot of the 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 talking after games and stuff is them. Uh, in LA, I did a little bit more when I was assistant. It's a little bit different when you're the GM. I certainly don't want to force anything on on the goalies or the players. If they want to come and talk to me, my office is certainly open, and once in a while we'll have a conversation, but certainly not focus. Um. In the recent past, you've not been afraid to give rookies a chance out of camp to make the team. Um, but when you assess prospects' chances to make the roster out of camp, how much stock goes into previous performance, whether it's in junior or in the AHL or whatever, versus what it looks like in rookie what you see in rookie camp? Like, what, what's the balance there? there? There's certainly a balance. I mean, if a, if a guy comes in and and he was a terrible player in American League last year and he comes and lights it up for two weeks, like. 
we all know inevitably what's going to happen here is, and chances are that guy's not going to get much of a look because he didn't earn it last year. Is he going to get a preseason game? He may or he may not. Right. So it's the whole picture. It's how well he did last year. It's how comfortable we feel with him being ready to not only play at a high level for training camp, but for six, seven, eight, nine months. That's the whole thing. It's the hardest part of our job is to try to assess, okay, is this guy just in a little hot streak here or is he that good? Well, if he's real good in American League last year, he's coming up here, he's really good in training camp, he's a thick build, he's in great shape. You know, there's other aspects of the, that we know that he's kind of hurdles that he's been through. You make an assessment say, okay, this kid can last because otherwise go to American League for three months, two months, come up here midway through the year, who knows, but we can send him down to American League to find out how he does for three months. But the, the bottom line is, is he going to make our team better? If he's going to make our team better, chances are he's going to be here unless there's circumstances that we just feel it's too risky to, to keep him. We talked about, uh, you talked about in the, uh, your end-of-season press conference about a couple of things that you want to try and improve in the offseason, one of them being the, the penalty kill. Um, what, do you look at that as something that needs to be improved from within, or is that something that you might say when we go, when we get to July 1, that's something we're going to be maybe hunting for out uh, there in if, free agency? If you got to be careful because you got a roster size. Right. you got 23 spots in your roster, and you got to count your players, and you don't want to box kids out that may be ready for the next step. So it's a juggling act. You know, you might look at acquisitions. Can we can we move uh, player for player to get a little better penalty kill or maybe not as much five-on-five five production? You know, we'll look at all that. Um, I, I, I truly believe we can, we can uh, improve from within. Uh, the last... 20, 21, 22, 23 games, our penalty kill was much better. So I feel like we can improve from within. Our young defensemen are going to be a year older, so they should be better. Um, there's going to be guys on the back end that are in that situation probably that weren't in it as much last year, so there's upside there. Um, so, again, we'll look outside if something makes sense, and if not, we'll improve from within. Do you think your the team has an identity right now? Is there an identity that you look at with this team, or is it still building it? We're still building it. To me, our identity has always been, you know, grit, tough, muscle, intimidate. It's a little harder to create that that clear identity nowadays because we can't have three guys that beat people up on our team. But our identity under my watch is not going to change in terms of we want to outwork and outwill teams and are we there no we're not there but that's where that's where we want to be and that's 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 our identity that's a 2018 version of of the 70s i mean that's the, the game's evolved and we have to all evolve with it um there's certain areas where we'd like to get better we'd like to get grittier we'd like to get you know, everybody wants to get faster and more skilled and everything else, but we'd like to kind of add all those things, and we feel like with our pipeline now we have some of those assets coming. Is there room in, in hockey, not necessarily just for the Flyers, but is there room in the sport still for physical play, not necessarily fighting per se, but, but you know, checking? I mean, it, it almost yeah. seems like we see it in the playoffs, but the regular season it kind of drops off a little bit there. Yeah, everything gets ramped up in the playoffs. I think the competitiveness gets ramped up. I think the physical play gets ramped up, so you got to be really careful not building your your team for the regular season it's got to last for two months in the playoffs and again it's not easy you got to have some breaks there certainly right. you got to try to hopefully stay as healthy as possible um but you you do have to have i like to use the word will 
because it, it kind of encompasses everything where you're at least willing to go to the net in heavy traffic and score a, a dirty goal that you know might win a series for you or a game for you. Um, getting in in the forecheck, you still have to bring those elements. And it's still a hard game. It's not a game where you got to stand up maybe and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a guy anymore. But it's still a hard game. It's a fast game. It is a physical game. And it may only be once every five games that you get hit real hard. But you got to have your head up when that when that one's coming because you, obviously you can get hurt. Is it frustrating, like as as somebody who's not on the ice any longer, you still are going to have the natural instincts of of a player. But um, is it frustrating to know that it seems like the style of play changes so much as you build towards the postseason and the way that you know it gets more physical? Does it make it harder to build a team when it seems like in order to you know find success and to get you know the highest spot in the table, you kind of have to build a team a certain way versus like when it gets to the postseason, it feels like maybe the way that you kind of design the third and the fourth lines to maybe be a better skating group uh, might not be you know the way that the most advantageous as you get to the postseason where physicality yeah. is kind of more of a premium. Yeah. You got to be careful there, and just looking at things through through a vacuum. Where where we've got to look at things. Okay, we we've got to make the playoffs, but then we want to go on the run. So yes, you know, once we get deeper into the playoffs, it is going to get more physical. There's not going to be as many penalties called, and you can get away with more. So you sort of have to uh, do that balancing act of, you know, building it for the regular season, but you know, really. In the end, you want to build it for the playoffs where you can sustain it for two months. And again, the physical play does does come into play. Ron, I have one final question before we wrap this thing up. And this has really nothing to do with the team in and of itself. But just it's a big news and big thing in sports these days is that now sports gambling is legalized. Do new policies now have to be put in place throughout the league or even specifically with the Philadelphia Flyers on how – to address that or how to combat that because it's so available to anyone and everyone, even in, within the organization? Is there is there something there or is that? I can't say right now I know enough about it to answer that question. Okay. What I can say is, is our athletes and our people are really good people. So in terms of from the hockey side, from our side, I, I don't believe this is going to change anything in terms of the, the public. Uh, again, I don't know enough about it to really um, – to really make an educated comment on it. Okay. So right, can, real quick. So when you were with L.A., there came a moment in time where it, it must have felt right to go out and try to make a, a big acquisition in a trade. And that, you know, obviously netted you Mike Richards and eventually Jeff Carter, and you go on to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, is, there, is there a certain tipping point in a season or, or as you're kind of looking at both the short and the long-term window for this team where it starts to feel right, where you have to start kind of assessing whether, you know, between salary cap implications and, and just, you know, having to part with potential young players or draft picks or whatever to make a big splash. Is there a certain tipping point? Is it just a feeling or? It's, well, first of all, that, that, that evaluation is nonstop. Okay, can we add one player that takes us to this level? That's a nonstop evaluation that happens on a, on a certain and a weekly basis. Um, now, in saying that, that doesn't mean you're going to have to go out and make the big splash. Sometimes you can just say, okay, we got this coming here. He's going to fill this box. We get this coming. He's going to fill that box. So you got to be really careful where you say, okay, we need – to fill this box, but yet in a year we got a player coming that's going to fill that box. Now, what are we going to do with the player that's coming now? So it's a real juggling act where you're looking at term, any asset you acquire. Term is important. Do you want a guy for five years? Do you want a guy for, for one year to bridge 
where we're going here or you know player x you want to sign him to a three-year deal because you feel like in two years this kid's coming then he can you know essentially take that box and again you mentioned the salary cap that's a big part of it so it's a juggling act it's not easy you try and evaluate as much as you can and, and be correct as, as as many times as possible great that'll be all for us flyers general manager ron hextall thanks once again for coming on to the snow the goalie podcast uh Best of luck this summer, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right, guys. been a pleasure. That, ladies and gentlemen, was Flyers GM Ron Hextall. Uh, a lot of interesting things that he had to say in that interview. Um, Anthony, uh, I, I think we were saying after we got done the interview, one of the things that we'd kind of talked about, and one of the things that I think you did a great job of pressing him on, uh, was kind of bringing up the penalty kill. And it was something that had been kind of bantered about a lot on Twitter uh, leading up to that interview and, and us you know, soliciting questions from people, um, just exactly what they're going to do to fix the penalty kill, whether it's looking to draft, if it's promoting from within or, or a trade. And you caught on to something um, that I think is is kind of worth pointing out. He mentioned a name that I hadn't heard of, but you obviously had. Yeah, Nick Kubel, Nick Aubrey Kubel. Um, and, and he's not alone. I mean, it, it, if you go back and listen, uh, if you rewind and, and, and check out when he was talking about the Phantoms, um, I always found, find it interesting when you ask um, a general manager or you know any executive in, in hockey uh, about their their own prospects. The names that they mention are are crucial because he's hinting to you that these are guys that we are thinking about for next season. Um, I mean, he wasn't he you know he was he mentioned the names he mentioned were guys who a lot of people think have a chance to. To hang around through camp and maybe, you know, prove that they belong at the NH- uh, at the NHL level. And so Nick Abekubel is a two way forward um, who I think could fit in a fourth line role, um, who could be a penalty kill guy right away. Um, and so the other thing that was interesting is Hextall did kind of indicate in there that he feels like it's the penalty kill can be fixed from within more so than adding somebody. So, you know, the last time he talked to the media, he had mentioned that he was going to keep conversations open with Val Filpola um, about the potential of bringing him back and maybe looking for a, th- a third-line center who can uh, help the penalty kill. And now, to us, he said that he thinks it's something that could be fixed from within. So maybe in the you know, months since the, the season ended and and the, the, he got together with the, the scouts and the and uh, his, you know, his team in the, um, on the hockey operations side, and they looked at it and said, well, geez, do we really want to go out and spend money on a veteran guy who's going to play a bottom six role, you know, and just come in and not really provide a lot of offense and – yeah, help improve the penalty kill? Like, is that worth it? Or do we want our young kids to, to play in those roles um, where they can succeed killing penalties and then still develop um, even if they're only playing, you know, 8, 10, 12 minutes a night? And I think that they like what they have enough to uh, benefit them in that way. Um, so, uh, you know, you look at Kubel – um, he mentioned Vorobiev as well. I think Kubel's ahead of Vorobiev um, on the depth chart, but I, I think that that's another guy um, to consider. Um, he singled out uh, Phil Myers. He mentioned Travis Sanheim uh, briefly. Well, yeah, he, but they're, they're, defen- they're defensive. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
so yeah, I think that when you look at it, I think that they're going to – and he also mentioned, he said, we have a couple of guys who are growing into their roles. And I think that he's referencing somebody like a Scott Lawton, for example. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of Lawton on the penalty kill next year as well. Um, and uh, you know, I don't know about Taylor Lear, maybe – we see a little bit of, of Taylor Lear out there. Um, I would not be surprised if Oscar Lindblom is given a chance on the PK because he's such a smart defensive forward as well. Um, so I think that they're going to look at it from who we have and see if they can't turn us around. Because the penalty kill, and everybody wants to blame Ian LaPerriere, and I get it, right? He's been the assistant coach for the last four years, and the penalty kill has gotten progressively worse. I think they were... 20, they were 27th four years ago, 20th three years ago, 21st two years ago, 29th last year. Um, so it really hasn't been good for a while. Um, so they want to say, well, it's got to be the coach. Well, sometimes it's the talent that you have on the ice. And so I think that they're looking at it and saying, rather than relying on veteran players as we have for the past four years, maybe if we go to younger players and get quicker legs out there and really kind of – you know, find guys who will embrace that role, we can improve it from within. And I think that that's something now, I think that was the most telling thing that we got from this interview as far as roster construction, because I think that ultimately that's what he's, that's what he's suggesting is that, you know, that's where they're going to, they're, they're going to fix the PK from within. And so maybe instead of looking for a penalty killer in free agency, maybe they're looking somewhere else. Maybe they're looking for scoring in free agency. And that could be an, that could be an interesting change from what he said a month ago. Yeah, um, I think when it comes to other young players that he kind of mentioned, and I think you know it's it may, may be time to buy some Phil Meyer stock uh, for next season as a guy who might be able to kind of find his way onto this roster, especially knowing that Sanheim is going to be coming off of uh, an injury, as is Sam Moran, who I think isn't even going to be available. Yeah. Moran, uh, to start Moran's going to be out until the season, until January at least. So, um, so I think I think to some extent you might be able to see if Phil Myers goes in and has a really good camp. Um, kind of speaking to a, a thing that Hextall had kind of mentioned about, you know, what is it that that kind of in your mind gets a guy, you know, from being a, a minor league player for playing in the AHL uh, and and making that jump to the NHL? And he he said obviously a lot of it kind of depends on the experience and what the guy brought to the table uh, in the AHL season um, versus like just being a standout at, at like a rookie camp or in a training camp. Um, so I, I think Phil Myers is is going to maybe turn some heads and perhaps he has a, a decent shot to make the roster. But the one guy who I think is going to definitely get an ego boost off of this has to be Alex Lyon. Uh, he he spoke pretty glowingly of uh, Alex Lyon in, in that interview, mentioned him multiple times. I'm looking at the transcript that I meticulously spent uh, like two hours transcribing today. Um, but he mentioned Alex Lyon a lot. And, you know, I, I guess you could read it one of two ways. Uh, you know, maybe this is going to be part of a uh, a public tour of sorts, a, a public PR thing where he's going to go run around and, um, you know, to pretty much anyone who will listen, will hype up Alex Lyon for one of two reasons. And that could either be because there's potential intrigue um, and, and, you know, a potential that maybe he's looking to trade a young player like Alex Lyon um, you know, promoting his high upside and the fact that he's not an older player, or maybe it's because he really does genuinely think that, you know, Michael Neuwirth is just not reliable uh, injury-wise. That's something I, I kind of wanted to push him on, but he was smiling, he was laughing, uh, and we were having a good time with him, so I didn't want to, you know, uh, kind of take the air out of the situation. I, I liked our 
the mood that we had going with Hextall. But, um, you know, I, I don't think that Neuwirth has, has ever proven that he can be reliable. And I think most of that is through injuries. And obviously, you can't plan your way around that, right? Like, you can't plan going into a season that you know Neuwirth is going to be injured because injuries are, you know, they, they just happen. It just seems like they happen so much more to Neuwirth. Um, but you've got to think that, you know, between Elliott or Neuwirth, that one of those guys might not start the season uh, on the team or, you know, throughout the season as as other teams lose a backup goalie or lose a starting goalie for a short time. You know, maybe they make to they look to make a move and they feel comfortable enough that Alex Lyon can, you know, fill in in a backup role, maybe 20 games in the season or however many games that Dave Haxtell decides to put him out on the ice. Yeah, I mean, I Carter Hart is going to be on the Phantoms and he's going to get a lot of the playing time. Please repeat that again for all the people in the back who are going to scream about it on Twitter after they listen to this. Carter Hart is going to be on the Phantoms, and he's going to get a lot of playing time. He's going to be the number one goalie, I think, on the Phantoms this year. Um, The question becomes, do they go into the season with Elliot and Neuver again and Alex Lyon as the first call-up and Lyon as the backup to Carter Hart? Um, (laughs) Or... Do they move someone and Alex Lyon is your NHL backup? I mean, the other name that we're forgetting in all this is Anthony Stolarz. who's dealt, Stoli, the goalie on Twitter. Yeah, who's dealt with a lot of uh, a lot of injuries. And um, because of that, he um, he's kind of, you know, fallen down the depth chart. But I still think that the Flyers look at him and say, this guy's an NHL level backup goalie. Um so maybe you move somebody, Lions your Lions starts as your NHL backup and Stolarz backs up Carter Hart. And then Stolarz would be the first guy called up if there's an injury at the NHL level. You know what I'm saying? So I think that I mean you can't you can't go you can't carry all five. Somebody's gotta go. And that was the thing, like it was interesting. Like when I brought up the question to Ron, and uh, you're not going to hear it because he talked glowingly about his goalies, but he didn't make a facial expression because it became apparent when I asked the question that, yeah, we got a little bit of a logjam and somebody's going to have to go. Um, and so I, I'm curious to see the path that the Flyers will take to eliminate one of those five goalies because none of them are going to go play in the ECHL. Okay, um, all f- four of them will be with the team. One of them certainly will not. I'm just curious to see which is the one that's not with them. Yeah, that question he asked about the goalies, I think was, I think that probably got one of the more terse reactions from him. Um, and and yeah, I think it. You're you're obviously right. I mean, the comparison that I would make in this is kind of like um, it was, I guess, two years ago when Brian Colangelo was kind of presented this this issue that the Sixers had three or four centers that they were looking to rotate. And, you know, it was very clear that they had to get rid of the logjam like they, you don't have enough minutes for these guys. And, you know, ten, kind of to your point, like at some point, you know, if, if the goal is to keep Elliott and, and Neuvert, like you don't have enough minor league reps uh, to give to Stolars or to give to uh, uh, Lyon. And we're San- Sandstrom's abroad still, right? Like that's just an, another guy that they have in their system. So, you know. I guess you just don't have enough minutes. You don't have enough um, playing time for these guys. And ultimately, I think anybody within the organization and anybody who knows anything about this team knows that Carter Hart is the future. And so, you know, while there were people that kind of wanted to see the Flyers go out and maybe are still hoping that the Flyers go out and make either a trade or make a signing for a goaltender this offseason, just doesn't make a lot of sense. 
I mean, you know, to to sign a guy in for multiple years, it just doesn't make sense when you've got Carter Hart, you know, right over the horizon. And unlike a lot of uh, Flyers goalie prospects in the past, this one seems legit. It always, I, I don't know, it, it's always seemed like in the past that, you know, you heard about Anthony Stolarz and it, and it seemed like, okay, you know, like, it seems like a good kid, seems like they might actually have something here. And, you know, you put Sergei Bobrovsky aside because he was banished to Siberia during the Stanley Cup run. Um, you know, he obviously was the one that the organization missed on. You know, they they went out of their way to go and sign Ilya Brizgalov, which was obviously a disaster. And and they unloaded, you know, the best goaler, the best goaltender they've had in probably the entire time that I've watched the Flyers uh, since, like, probably middle school. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 rough, but you've got Carter Hart there. There's no reason to go out and make a big signing, and and obviously it's just stop gaps for the next year or two until he's ready. Yeah, and 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 Ron mentioned that too, um, not directly with the, with the goalie situation, but he referred to what I thought was an interesting thing on your last question, I believe it was, um, when he said that you have to consider what box a player is going in, and then you know you have someone coming. To fill that box, well, how long do you want that person to be a placeholder in that box? And um, so it was a really kind of a, a, a telling thing. Like if they think Carter Hart can be an NHL goalie in 2019-20, well, then why would you, you know, want want to do anything else besides what you already have for 18-19? Like you, there, it doesn't make any sense. And yeah, you you might have slightly below average goaltending um, for this upcoming year. And that might make a lot of fans bristle a little bit. But the fact of the matter is, is that they look at it and say, well, here's who we have coming. And it doesn't make any sense for us because who else are you going to get on a one-year contract? You know, you're, that's, they're the kinds of goalies that you're going to get. You know, the, the Michael Neuver, Brian Elliott's of the world who are okay um, probably better as backups than as starters, but you know they can be okay if they stay healthy, uh, and and you know they're not going to steal playoff series for you, but they can get you to the playoffs. Obviously, that tandem got the Flyers to the playoffs this year, um, so you know that's that's what the Flyers are going to do, um, and they're not going to rush Carter Hart along. They're just not. Uh, the only way I see Carter Hart playing in the NHL this year would be really late in the season and primarily if there's a couple of injuries in goal in front of them. Kind of like what we saw at the end of the season. Right. Or yeah. or the team completely stinks and Hextall has to, you know, trade off some pieces and they're just kind of playing out the string. Maybe they give him a chance to play a couple games at the NHL level and see how he does. That's the, those are the, really the only two scenarios where I where I see Carter Hart playing for the team this year. So you just got to wait a year, and, and that's okay. He's 19 years old. You know, he's not going to come in and and suddenly you know be the savior at 19. I mean, think about it. go back through the history of hockey and find 19 year old goalies who came in and just stole the show. It just doesn't happen. I mean, you've had 19 year old goalies who've been okay and then turned out to be great players, um, but. You know, they don't just come in and suddenly be the best goalie in hockey. It just doesn't happen. So just be patient with Carter Hart. You know, kind of to your point about uh, Hextall's last answer to that, to the question where I, I, what I was really trying to, to get at in a, I guess, in an indirect way, um, 
by kind of mentioning the Mike Richards and Jeff Carter trades are, are kind of, you know, the proposed deals that are out there. Um, you know, I, I guess Eric Carlson's, is, you know, one that certainly is, is one that people are considering and even a big free agent signing like John Tavares, which we've talked about in the past is probably unlikely. Uh, we don't know what interest there is on the flyer side or Tavares's side, but you know, I'm, I'm looking at his exact quote here and, and, you know, he mentions, cause I, I had even brought up the salary cap there and he said, well, do you want a guy for five years? You want a guy for one year? Uh, do you want a guy for one year to bridge, uh, and then he kind of goes on to say, like, do you want a player that's just assigned to a three-year deal um, and because you think that a kid's ready to come up in two years? And the, the way that he kept mentioning the years and the way that he kind of circled back around to the salary cap certainly makes me think that in, in the case of a Carlson, you know that that's going to be a long-term deal, right? We're probably talking six, seven years, um, and they've got a lot of great depth in the organization at, at defensemen. So I, I don't know if if that's really something that they're going to look to to get themselves involved in. Um, and we said they have, what, $17 million in, in cap space. They have a few RFAs that they need to make offers to. I'm just not so sure that, you know, even if they have the value, which I think they do, like I, I think between the two draft picks they have, uh, with and even if you include Gudis or Simmons or whoever else, you think that the team might be ready to kind of part ways with or at, at least kind of, you know, uh, maybe go in a slightly different direction. I think they have the assets to make a big trade, but you have to look at the long-term ramifications of it, right? And even in the case of Tavares, you know, I, I said on the last show, you're running into a, a massive issue where this guy might make anywhere between nine and eleven million dollars. I mean, eleven is probably high, but nine million is is certainly a safe bet. And if that's where you're at, uh, you're you're looking at such a a top-heavy cap team that you know you still have Voracek and Giroux both under contract for quite a while. And you've taken any kind of flexibility that you have with this roster and you're essentially throwing it into the fire, you know, in, in the hopes that you're going to contend this year. And between Carter Hart not being ready yet and a couple of these younger defensemen, you know, if you, if you want to include Phil Myers or Sanheim or whomever, you know, I, I don't think the window's there yet. I, I think this team is still and it sucks because it feels like we say it almost every year, but I think this team is another year away from, you know, really contending and, you know, getting rid of any cap flexibility that you have by bringing in the long-term cap hit of a Carlson or the long-term cap hit of a Tavares. I'm just not so sure that that's the best thing for the team. Would it be fun? Yeah. Would it make you a much more legitimate contender in the conference? Yeah. But do I think, do I think that as currently constructed that this team is going to, you know, win a Stanley cup? No, not as currently constructed. It doesn't mean that things won't change over the off season, but I, I just don't see it yet. And I'm very hesitant to give out, you know, a seven to to $11 million contract over six, seven years. Yeah, and not to mention, I don't know if you saw the utterly crazy story <clears throat> involving Eric Carlson and his wife. No. So Carlson's wife um, has f- filed a uh, protection order against um, the girlfriend of Senator's teammate Mike Hoffman. <laughs> Oh boy! Um, apparently, uh, she's accusing the girlfriend, whose name is uh, Monica Carrick, of harassing her and um, and Eric Carlson. Um, all about the death of they had a, a, a stillborn baby, and oh. so Carlson's wife is accusing this Monica Carrick. Um, of, of things here's here's some here's a quote this is from the uh, Ottawa citizen Monica Carrick has uttered numerous statements wishing my unborn child dead she also uttered that she wished I was dead and that someone should take out my husband's legs to end his career 
Monica Carrick has posted over 1,000 negative and derogatory statements about me as a professional. Interesting good, stuff. Good God. Right? I mean, so what does that tell you about – I mean, how can, how can either of them stay in Ottawa at this point? Right? I mean, Eric Carlson's got to be like, I got to get out because – I mean, as if he didn't want to leave already. Right. I mean, that's certain because reason. his wife is now the target of media attention. Um, Mike Hoffman – like what does it do? What do you do if you're Mike Hoffman? You got to I mean, think though that this might affect his trade value then, right? Oh, like, absolutely. Because, because now, now it certainly not only looks like Carlson was kind of in a lame duck year there, where he was certainly going to be looking to leave after this season, but but now he's got added incentive, and you bring the family aspect of this in, and it, uh, man, that that really does change things. Oh, absolutely. So the question is, is you know, I mean, you know, the Flyers were kind of uh, for a short time there linked to the possibility of trading for a Mike Hoffman. Obviously, I don't think that's going to happen now. I would not. But really, it makes everything far more interesting as far as Carlson is concerned because it probably knocks his value down for the Senators. I mean, mean, he's still going to get – the Senators are still going to get something for him. But you're really taking on a a strange case – and here we are, you know, the week before the draft, and a lot of trades happen this week uh, leading up to the draft. A lot of trades happen between the draft and July 1st. Um, so there's the next couple of weeks are, are very busy weeks in the NHL. Um, and to have this this bomb dropped this at, at this time is is kind of crazy, and I'm not certain uh, I'm not certain that it's going to bode well for the Ottawa Senators. I know that we mentioned this, we brought up this hypothetical in the past, but obviously anybody who's going to make a trade for Carlson is probably going to want to have that moment with the agent to kind of work out, you know, what a long-term deal would look like. Based on the fact that his value might have taken a hit, I, I mean, I would think that the Flyers would have to be interested, even if it's on a one-year deal. Um, would you have any interest in that scenario, knowing that he might not be locked in long-term, but you can kind of play it out for a year and see how it goes? You know, if, if it's, say it's like 19 and Gudis or 14 and Gudis or... You know, some combination of picks and a vet just for the sake of the player-for-player player swap and taking a little bit of salary back. Do you make that deal for a, for a one-year Eric Carlson rental? Yeah. I do, too. Yeah, All I right. do because if I'm Ron Hextall, I'm confident that so many players come to Philadelphia and, like, just fall in love with the area. They never leave. Flyers players always they either – they they love it here and they stick around or they get traded away and then they come back, whatever the case might be, they all stay here. So it's one of the things that I think the Flyers have been so successful with over the years is convincing players why this is such a good spot for them and their families. So even if Carlson's not willing to negotiate a new deal up front, I think it's worth the gamble because you then have a full year to kind of prove to him yeah, this is where you want to be, and this is where you're going to win your Stanley Cup. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would I would do that. If it was only one of the picks and, and a player, yeah, I would do it. I, I don't think Gudis gets it done. <coughs> I think you're going to probably have to give up a, a, a prospect to go along with the pick. Um, but I would still do it. I would as well. I think it's, it's certainly worth – uh, worth the risk, and if nothing else, it gets you a little bit more stability in your defensive core, and it gives you know a, a real constant professional for the rest of these young kids uh, to look up to and to kind of learn from. And that kind of value, 
Uh, for as much as Hextall talked about the the importance of the AHL playoff run on a lot of these younger players to just, you know, learn what it's like to play in, in the postseason, um, I think, you know, you can't really quantify um, the kind of impact that having a legitimate pro uh, at your position can do and, and the kind of impact that it can have on all these younger defensemen. So, well, Anthony, I guess that's a good place for us to wrap. Uh, big thank you, as always, to the people who listen to our show, especially those who've been listening from day one, but also a very big welcome to all of the new fans and all the new listeners that we picked up as part of this Ron Hextall interview. If you haven't done so, uh, subscribe to the show. If you go on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, you should be able to find us and be able to subscribe. If you can, get over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever the app is on your phone or on your desktop or laptop or whatever. Leave a five-star rating. The five-star rating uh, helps us out a lot, and the five-star review, if you write one, is something that we will read on air uh, on the next episode, so make sure you do that. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including Crossing Broadcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with uh, me and Kyle Scott from uh, you know Crossing Broad, the guy who founded the site, uh, Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast on Tuesdays with Anthony and Bob Wankel, really awesome baseball show. It's the must the must-listen-to Phillies podcast. Of course, on the weekend, we have Crossing Broad FC, which is a show that kind of covers world soccer. So that can be European leagues. We'll be covering the World Cup. That's uh, me and Phil Kaidel, who contributes to CrossingBroad.com, has also written in the past about Manchester City and uh, world football for uh, Bleacher Report. So go check that show out. And of course, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid and Dave Zeitlin. That is a must listen to if you are a fan of the Philadelphia Union. Uh, All of those shows are brought to you by the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. So do the same thing that you're going to do for Snow the Goalie. Go subscribe, leave a five-star rating, five-star review, and uh, we'll make sure that we read those on those shows. So a big thank you once again to all of the listeners. A big thank you, of course, to Anthony for uh, getting Ron Hextall. All all Zach Hill from the Flyers, man. Well, big thank you to to Zach, who was a very nice guy. Uh, That was it was awesome of him to set that up. So for Anthony at Ant San Philly on Twitter, I'm Russ Joy at Joy on Broad. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the interview. Let us know what you thought of Hextall's answers. And uh, let us know if there's anything you think we missed. Uh, for Anthony, I'm Russ. We'll talk to you again next week.